Welcome to Give a Heck. I am your host, Dwight Heck, and for much of my life, lived my life in quiet desperation, wondering how I was going to pay the bills, take vacations, save for retirement, and one day wondering if I would get off the hamster wheel of life and have purpose. A life that most of society lives, which takes us to work, then home, then repeat, and pays us hopefully enough just to survive. The harsh truth that most live with more months than money and have no idea how to live life on purpose, not by accident. This ensures the mass majority are living not just financially broke, however emotionally and mentally as well due to financial pressures. In each episode, I will introduce you to thoughts, ideas, and guests that can help you to learn how you too can live life on purpose, not by accident. Good day and welcome to Give a Heck. On today's show, I welcome Kat Oshman. Born and raised in Hawaii, Kat spent her early childhood years drawing and painting. Little did she know, sunny days, playing outdoors, and weekends at the beach would prep her for a great career in this swimwear industry. Shortly after moving to California, she found inspiration through her mother's work with textiles. With a passion for original fashion, she upcycled my, her clothes and learned how to sew in the seventh grade. Kat used to stay up all night finishing projects so that she could wear them the next day. After design school, she landed her first job in the swimmer industry for Missy Private Label Division, where she learned all about big business, large volume, and cost-conscious designs with a fashion edge. Kat has designed thousands of swimwear styles for women of all ages, from super sexy to more conservative. Throughout her journey as a designer for 25 plus years, she had traveled the globe for inspiration, spoken with countless women, buyers for major retailers and specialty shops, engaged in focus groups, and spent countless hours trying on swimwear herself to see what worked and what didn't. Shopping for swimwear can be scary as public speaking, pardon me. It's one of people's biggest fears. Imagine being half naked in public. Designing swimwear is a beautiful art that marries creativity with technical expertise. It's taking a small piece of fabric and making it go to work. Currently leading the women's swim division as VP of design for brands that include Nautica, Sperry, Caribbean Joe, BCBG Brands, and Special Projects. Kat's designs can be found throughout a wide distribution of department and specialty stores, e-com retailers, Victoria's Secret, Nordstrom, and featured publications that include Sports Illustrated. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Kat. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and share with us some of your life journey. Thank you, Dwight. Thank you for that great uh, bio. And I really appreciate being on your show. Yes, I appreciate you being on this show too. I've been looking forward to this all week. So let's get started. And one of the things I start with, and, and as you're aware, we discussed it a little bit, um, the listeners are quite aware. For me, the origin story is very important um, because my whole life, People always, when you talk to them, they're very superficial. They talk about their successes and we really don't know them prior to their successes. What actually makes them tick? What made them get to that point? And I think that the biggest thing that pushed me over the edge is my 
fascination with how Marvel and Star Wars feel it's okay to start at the middle of a, of a storyline. And then after it's successful, they go backwards to explain it to us. Mm -hmm. Why not just start it to the beginning? Um, so that's why it's imperative for me to understand your origin story and what key things from your childhood to adulthood that led you to where you're at currently. Absolutely. So as you mentioned, I was born in Hawaii and I was actually born on the island of Molokai. So it's a small island and to this day, it's not very, very developed. And that's because they want to keep it that way. So born from immigrant parents, my grandpa came here. He was part of the like the war in the Philippines. And by being a part of volunteering to serve in like the Philippine army, help the US in the Philippines, they for exchange, they were able to come here and work as farmers. So that's taking it way back. And when my parents came, I was born and they were both working full time. So there was no one to watch me. So actually at three months, I flew to the Philippines where I lived for a few years to be raised by my grandmother while they came back here to work in the US. And then when it was like four or five years old, they came. so actually I didn't realize till recently that I never saw my parents, you know, from like zero to by the time they came to pick me up, maybe about four and a half. So we moved back to Hawaii and that was a really interesting life because I grew up in the province of Philippines and very simple life. It was hot and, you know, how should I explain it? I, I never went to school there. So I just kind of saw the, the cousins come and go, saw people go to work and I just kind of chilled, you know, <laughs> as a really young toddler and when I moved to Hawaii it just seemed so foreign because I didn't really know my parents and my grandma came with me so she was my crutch you know it was, it was all about grandma I probably was stuck to her side for the most part and then I started going to school and I was a quiet child very very quiet my cousins lived with us because they came to um, back then it was hard. Like you had to file paperwork in order to come to America and it's called like petitioning. And sometimes that can take 20 years when you petition a certain relative to be able to come to the U.S. And in order for time to collapse, my grandparents actually adopted my cousins so grandparents adopting their grandchildren and on paperwork, they became their kids. So that enabled them to move to the US and there was a bunch of us living in my parents' home in Hawaii. <laughs> we were very multi-generational. I was the only child and I had about three or four cousins living with us, different sets of grandparents, probably aunts and uncles kind of coming through the house every so often. We were a full house. I, I honestly don't even recall where I slept at times. 
<laughs> you know, but but growing up and you know being a Filipino and growing up in the Philippines, a lot of people would sleep on floors. So they would put blankets on floors or they would have this raised bed made of um, bamboo because it was very hot. So mattresses weren't very, very common and it was only for people who had a lot of money. So I was accustomed to growing up on hard surfaces. So I think that's probably why I don't recall sleeping in beds for <laughs> early part of my childhood. I mean, I'm sure I did, but and let's see so i was quiet but i was also a brat i was one of the youngest cousins and you know i would try to get away with what i can that's why i say that i was a brat but it's interesting so growing up in hawaii there's a lot of culture there's a lot of filipinos there there's Hawaiians, Samoans, Guamanians, very few Caucasians, very few African-Americans. But, you know, in Hawaii, like the sun is so strong that we were all different colors. So I grew up instantly getting an instant tan. Um, so I was kind of darker growing up and I probably had a speech uh, slang, like slang English where they call it uh, pigeon. Do you yeah. know what pigeon is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm sure I spoke pigeon. I every time I visit, I, the pigeon kind of comes out because I feel like a local again. And in the second grade, my teacher—I don't know how she picked me out of the bunch, but she chose me to be like the princess. So every year we would have May Day. And we would have kind of like a parade and one boy and one girl from each grade would be crowned like prince, princess. And they chose me. I was like, oh, wow, this is so cool. Cause you know, I was kind of a quiet child but I'm sure I excelled in art and was a very good student. So I told my parents and you know, I didn't see them a lot. So I guess we didn't have like too much communication cause there was so many people at home. How can you keep track of who you've been talking to or the last time you had a conversation with them. And I remember I told my mom, I was like, I think I want to get a perm. Like I want curly hair. That was the biggest mistake ever. So I got a perm, I think days before the parade happened. And I just remember looking in the mirror thinking like, what happened? What did I do? I had like this short hair jerry curls and i was like i don't know what to do i think i wanted to shave my hair or cry or something so i have a few photos of that and it was all fine i mean i clearly survived <laughs> the bad perm in the second grade uh what else i ate a lot of candy growing up so that was not good that was a lot of trips to the dentist actually and back then I, I was filled with like silver caps in front of my teeth because of all the cavities and eating candy so I have a lot of school pictures with like my you know I have a I had a grill back then <laughs> oh that's and, funny uh, yeah it's it's funny and then fast forward my my father joined the military 
a little bit later in his life. You know, a lot of people join before they hit 20. And I think my dad was probably almost 30 or something. Yeah, he had to be because I was certain age. And we were moving to California because that's where he was going to be stationed in San Diego. And I didn't want to go. I was like, I don't want to go to San Diego. I don't want to leave the islands. And my parents were so gracious to allow me to stay actually in Hawaii. So we moved in with my aunt. So all of the kids. So it was just my parents who moved to California. And then the rest of us, I mean, there weren't so many living with us anymore because they left, but the cousins and I moved in with my aunt and she had two kids, two little ones. And again, it was like, we're sleeping on the floor. We're, you know, bunk beds. Like there was kids everywhere. I, I honestly don't even know how they fed, <laughs> how they fed us. But eventually I did move to California a year later. So that was another transition for me. I started the fifth grade in California. And then that was like California life. What else? I think I started really getting into being comfortable in my own skin around the sixth grade because you're the oldest. You're the oldest grade in elementary now, right? Like you're one of the cool kids. And I think that's when I became really cool. <laughs> so I made friends in the fifth grade and I was like, okay, I gotta keep these friends. And then sixth grade, we were the cool kids. And then when we moved to middle school, junior high, it was the young kids all over again, you know? And I was like, all right, this is really interesting times, but that's when my brother was born. My brother was born kind of before, he was born in the sixth grade. So imagine we're 12 years apart. So I'm 12 and he's like this little baby. So I think I, was, I had the freedom to basically do my own thing. I, both parents worked. My grandma did come with us so she can watch the brother. And, you know, it's old school back then. We didn't have cell phones or pagers where the parents could keep track of us. And I don't know why I felt like I needed to just sneak around to go play with my friends. So I would sneak, quote unquote, because the parents weren't looking for me. I would sneak around the neighborhood to play with my friends. And literally I knew exactly what time my mom was gonna be home. It was like 6.15. And I was, I remember this one time, I mean, I'm sure there was more than one time. I was down the neighborhood at my friends and I'm like, oh my gosh, what time is it? And I'm literally running down the street to get home before she got home. And in Hawaii, we hardly wore shoes, right? We always wore flip-flops growing up. So I could run so fast barefoot or flip-flops. <laughs> so I would dart home and that was kind of my childhood. It was, it was fun. And my mother worked at a textile store so when we moved away from that neighborhood, it was much further and I wanted to stay in the same school. So my mom sacrificed driving me to that school versus the school that was very close by. 
but that meant I had to walk like, I don't know, a mile and a half to her work, wait for her to take me home. And so that's why I spent a lot of time playing with fabrics, looking at the pattern books. And she had a sewing machine at home because she would make the curtains. And that's how I learned how to sew. I started sewing by hand and then eventually learning how to use a sewing machine. And the reason I did that is because growing up, we didn't shop a lot. I mean, we shopped for food because we had to eat. My mom loves to cook and host parties. But as far as clothing, I would either borrow clothes from my cousins or, you know, I would upcycle them myself. And that's how I got away with looking different and being different. Because there's so much pressure going up with, you know, what brand you're wearing. Like you're not wearing a Nike. And it's incredible, actually, how bad it is in school. Yeah, very bad. It's really bad. And kids pay attention to those things. And I don't know, in in Hawaii, I could care less. I remember in the fourth grade where when we started having to have a PE class. Up until probably third or fourth grade, I don't even know if I own tennis shoes. (laughs) I was like, I have to wear closed toe shoes and wear tennis shoes. And I don't know if I know how to run in these things, you know. So, cause I was always like walking to school and I probably wore flip-flops that were bigger than my feet just because. Hand-me-downs. Yeah. Hand-me-downs. And I remember my cousin who was much older, she had an exchange of words in Hawaii at a liquor store. We were buying candy and I was like, oh my gosh, these like big bone Hawaiians are going to chase us. So we started running and I recall running and being the smallest one. One of my flip-flops like got caught in the the sidewalk. And I'm like, do I go back for that flip-flop or do I keep running? I I honestly don't remember if I went back for the flip-flop, but we're like running for our lives because these Hawaiians were going to come beat us up or something. But yeah. (laughs) The things we tell ourselves, right? It's it's amazing. Exactly. And that's probably how my love of fashion, you know, came about is I started, started making my own clothes and my friends were very complimentary. I made them some bags out of velvet fabrics. They wanted to pay me, but I just have like this giving heart and I was just giving it away because I loved doing what I did and you know, to see other people wear or use what you made was pretty cool. Oh yeah, of course it would be. So that's how you got your love for, for fashion. Um, You know, it's, I wrote down here though, as well as another question. Um, And then I'll back up to something in the origin story. Most people would die to live in Hawaii. So Mm -hmm. you've stayed in California. Have you ever actually thought about moving back? Has it ever been a desire for your husband and you to go back and stay in Hawaii? Yes. So we talk about it all the time. So long story short, with my dad's military career, he, for the most part, the family stayed in California. He traveled, but the family stayed. And then they moved to Italy. 
So my parents moved to Italy for three years in Naples and they traveled all over Europe and they loved it. So when it came time for retirement, his last, you know, station and duty, they chose one of the locations was Hawaii. So that's how they moved back to Hawaii. Oh, so they're in Hawaii. They're in Hawaii. They're back in Hawaii. So we actually go and visit them all the time. My grandma is back there. She just turned a hundred in April. Oh, wow. Which is amazing. But yeah, we do talk about it. I know people who get island fever, but I love the sun and I love the beach. So that's not out of the question. Yeah, because I get, I have quite a few friends that live in on, you know, people that live in Maui, people that live in Oahu and born and raised there and they want to move away. <laughs> they want to move back. They want to move to the U.S. mainland because they said it's fine. Everybody wants to move here. But when you've been you've been here for 30, 40 years, right, it's more costly. It's, you know, and, and they have complaints about the weather. The weather can be nice, but then it can be really cold. Uh, you know, it's certain things like that. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I've dreamt about going to Hawaii. I couldn't, I, you know what I mean? I'd love to live there. And all the things that they say that they reason why they want to move, that's that for me, it wouldn't be compelling. It's probably because I've grown up in a four season country where we'll get a few feet of snow. Right? So we go through all four seasons. So to be in a uh, country or part of me, a state of Hawaii, any of the islands, and having to deal with the temperatures dropping really fast. Oh, well, right. Cause during the day is what it's about, right. At night I'm inside anyway, so I don't care. Yeah, exactly. But if you've never moved out of Hawaii, I could totally understand why. Oh, right? of course. You have Island fever and you can drive, we call it going around the Island. Okay. So every time family comes to visit, that's one of the things we do. We go around the island. So we get in the car and we start at one side and you just drive, you know, you go to Waikiki and then you end up in Kailua. So just even doing a certain chunk is only a couple hours. Oh, of course. Yeah. You're talking about a <laughs> You're talking about Oahu specifically. Oahu, yeah. yeah. I've driven around. Yeah. I loved it there. I thought yeah. it was amazing, but it yeah, you're amazing. right. You drive from one. We took, uh, my daughter downloaded an app and it actually uses GPS. We started running it and it takes you along. It tells you to stop, look up here and it tells you about it. And it'll tell you where to stop and for taking pictures. Um, that app took us cause it makes you, you don't make you stop, but you choose to stop um, with breaks and everything. It was a whole day. It was amazing, but literally you're right. You can drive the whole Island in a couple hours, right? It's not, it's not that intensive. But the island itself is beautiful. So is that where your parents are living? Is that, oh, yes. as on Oahu? Yes. So my family lives on Oahu. But there's a reason why flights from Hawaii to Vegas are so cheap and vice versa, because that's like the number one destination <laughs> where Hawaiians want to go. Yeah. I've, I've my, had my friend uh, Kakua tell me that. She was saying, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I can see why it would be just like me wanting to fly to certain places in the US as we talked about before there's direct flights prior to the pandemic. Um, you know, now 
to get to the same destinations can be 10, 12 hours because they make you hop all over the place to different airports to get, to get to your destination. But yeah, I could see that one them wanting to go to the problem is with, you know, no offense to those of my listeners, because I have some friends that live in Vegas to me, if you're living there and you're in business, it's your home. But I grew tired of visiting Vegas as a mm-hmm. tourist years ago. I've been there, I don't know, 10, 12 times, right? It's just, I'm not a gambler, not a huge drinker. I'm a social drinker. Going to the odd show is okay. But unless you're there for a purpose, I find I find Hawaii would be a better place to go and spend my two weeks or a week than, than Vegas. But again, everybody's backyard is greener. Everybody wants to be in somebody else's backyard. So I respect those that want to, my friends that want to move away. I get it. They were, we have very candid conversations. Mm-hmm. Whereas myself, if I never, ever leave where, leave where I live now, I'd still live a good life. I, I don't have that. I don't have that desire to escape because of specific seasons, because I've adapted. And like I said, I live, I live life. If it's nice weather and I'm working, it's still nice weather, but I'm not enjoying it. <laughs> if it's crappy weather and I'm working, I'm, you know what I mean? I'm not suffering yeah. through it. People fixate too much on stuff, but um, one of the, I love, I loved your origin story as, as we were going through it. I had no clue. You went from the Philippines, you went, you know, you end up in Hawaii, you end up in California. You know, it's, it's amazing the journey that you've been on and the size of, the, and I have a lot of close Filipino friends and I understand how their families support one another, grandparents still live, but I've heard the same message and correct me if I'm wrong that I heard through you they take on so much of the family dynamics, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents live with them that the kids get left behind. And some of them, it didn't bother. And other Filipino friends of mine, they, they realized as they got older that they didn't want that disconnection with, they wanted more to be a, a tight family unit, not so much worrying about everybody else, but worrying about their 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 own family unit. Have you found that to be a reality for you or would you live that same sort of cultural lifestyle that a Filipino family would live? Would you have all your relatives and everybody come live with you? Well, so that, so the Filipino culture is really interesting because they take care of each other. Like they take care of, of their course. family. Right? Oh yeah, of course. Multi-generational. Um, but I do agree and I don't know if it's the kids being left behind per se, but I think they're just so busy working, you know, like my parent, like my dad's got a crazy work ethic. So does my mom, but then she also loves to cook like, and Filipino dishes are laborious, right? There's Mm -hmm. a bajillion ingredients. It takes so long. And I, I don't know if I could ever do what she did for yeah. everybody. I mean, even to this day, like she will come home, she's exhausted and there's people coming over and she busts out with like the 10 course meal. I'm like, why do you have to do this? Yeah. <laughs> You're just stressing yourself out. And what I've learned when I visit them is I have to prep her. I'm like, I love all your cooking. Thank you. I'm like, but I don't want to 
I don't want to stress out about you having to cook for us every single day. If yeah, keep it simple. Keep, keep it simple. If there's days we want to do takeout, that's cool. And I'll make some dishes too. So she's slowly learning that. But there's cultural things in all cultures. Mm-hmm. My European, my European culture of the, my relatives that moved here from from Germany and some of them that moved from South America. And you know what I mean? Like there's, everybody's got cultural, but the Filipino culture has always made me smile because yeah, it's like unbelievable 10 course meal in a few minutes. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. holy crap. And so much food, like, so oh my food. gosh, I'm going to blow up. <laughs> well, and the, and you're right, Dwight, because it's so much food and we joke around that it's always eat more, eat more. Like, no, I'm stuffed. They're like, no, no, eat more. And the reason they make so much food is so then you can bring food home. So that's what my mom does. She, she literally puts out trays of food. And I'm like, how many people are we having over today? And she's like, well, that's so they can bring home food because they also know when they come to my mom's, they're bringing food home. Your mom sounds awesome because I, you know, my mom's like that too. Not Filipino, obviously, but my mom's the same way still. She's 80 years old and cooks a crap load of food. Even if there's, I come there here recently with my son and it was Easter this year and she's making all, mom, why are you, why are you cooking such a big turkey? There's four of us, right? Because mm-hmm. of the pandemic, not everybody can be here, right? Um Oh, I'm going to send food home with, with, you know, Thomas, like your grandson, I'll send food home with you. Oh, and I can send some food home for Olivia and one of my other kids or, oh, you can drop, you know, maybe I'll see if, you know, one of your sisters wants stuff. You can swing by and drop, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like, holy crap, the amount of food you cook, mom. I love you to pieces. And you know what? I'm guilty of doing the same thing. My yeah. son comes over and I overcook or any of my kids come over, I'll overcook and I have containers and I'll say, oh, now don't, don't worry about it. That can, you can keep that container, right? So I try to make sure I have containers in my pantry that I can send food home with us. So I think we learn from our parents some of those traits. Yes, we do. I, I don't cook like her. I can make dishes, but I can't make a 10 course meal. Oh, I can't either out of nothing and um yeah it's just it's really funny I can't I think it was Christmas when there was so much food and we had so much leftovers we actually had wrapped up like to-go boxes because she has them in her garage you know for people to take food home and we took it out to the community and we fed like homeless we found homeless people to go give this that's sweet that's awesome your mom sounds amazing um yeah so you know there's lots of, you know candy lots of it lived the dentist lots of silver caps pick me <laughs> I, I i did that too i you know i think about though i don't even know if, uh, if we're close in age or not but for me back in the 70s it would have been late 70s i wasn't i wasn't a teenager yet but you know you could have 50 cents and go to the store and get so much candy and I'd get a pop, a bag of chips, a bag full of little, you know, one back then one cent candies, quote, quote, actually still existed. I, I had, I was a cab. And then on top of that, they found out that I have enamel issues, weak enamel issues, which didn't Mm -hmm. help matters. So I was constantly and getting 
and today getting a feeling is a lot worse or a lot better part of me than it was back then, in my opinion. Right. right? Um, so yeah, I can, I can resonate with that. It's made me smile. Um, your father joining the military at a, at a late age in his life. And, you know, they, your mom, th that year that you went through that, where you stayed with, and you went back from, you know, being with your mom and dad and then moving to San Diego and you living with, I believe you said an aunt, um, you remember a lot about that. Do you believe that it affected you a lot in regards to who you are today because of the fact that you lived with relatives then you're with mom and dad, then dad's gone and didn't see him a lot because he's all, he's all over the world um, mm -hmm. serving in the military, which, you know, appreciate his service. Um, did it affect you a lot? Do you think it has? Yeah, there were certain things that affected me and part of it is, the culture so you know they're like my dad's kind of stoic right so there wasn't a lot of communication with um my parents were hard workers but there wasn't a lot of like the nurturing communication for example you know like did you brush brush your teeth today? Did you have breakfast? Did you, you know, um, make sure you sleep a certain amount of time so you have rest? Those types of things growing up didn't really exist. And I think part of it is because there were so many of us, um, they took care of us, but we also took care of ourselves in an, in an independent way type thing. So when I look back, I mean, I'm sure I brush my teeth every day, <laughs> but there was really nobody to remind me like I do now, you know, like when I was raising our, our daughter, I'm like, honey, did you brush your teeth? Did you do this? You know, it's, it's very, very different, but. Well, I ask it because it's full circle for some people. When we get raised a certain way, we have a choice. We become exact duplicates. I've seen it for too many years in my own practice. Families, including my own family, we make a choice. We're going to be exactly like our parents, or we're going to be some traits and qualities of our parents, but we're going to do the exact opposite. So your, your mom and dad loving made sure you were, you know, had somebody raise you at specific periods and take care of you. But, you know, and then you mentioned they didn't really say, Hey, brush your teeth. Hey, you need to get more sleep, go to bed or whatever. You had to become self-caring and make, mm -hmm. like you said, you're pretty sure you brush your teeth, but um, you know, and then you talk about the fact of now you tell your daughter, Hey, you should do that. So that's why I asked that question, yeah. how much your childhood affected who you become today. If it, if it made a, a giant impact, some people went on, oh, no, I'm just like my mom and dad. Right. It doesn't sound like you I are. No, I, I'm like them with certain things, but in terms of raising kids, we're a lot more um, communicative and, you know, purposeful with showing affection because we didn't have that. And she's an only child, so I can't just be working and, you know, expect her to do all those things. Yeah, and but you don't they, want her sneaking away yeah. at 12 years to play with her friends and run home. Yeah. <laughs> right home and make sure that you know she's home before you know your mom before cat's home 
I love that. Actually, so it's funny that you brought that up because even in the even in the sixth grade, so I was not super physically athletic. We we would play sports and I was like, oh my God, this is the worst part of my day. Every time we had to play group sports during recess or PE, because you know, example, like we would play kickball and they would line up the kids at the fence or whoever, and there would be two captains and they would choose. So they pick, you know, who they want on their team. And I'm always standing there. I'm like, I really hope I'm not the last kid (laughs) chosen. And it was almost like I wasn't the last one, but I was, I was one of the few left standing there because I wasn't athletic. And it affects a person though. It does. It does. And in the sixth grade, I actually signed up for girls basketball. I don't know what I was thinking. So, but I didn't tell my parents that I signed up. So somehow I got like a uniform t-shirt and we played on Saturdays and I woke up and I would leave. I think they worked. So I would sneak out of the house and go play at these games. There was only a couple of games, but it was crazy. We, we played against some schools and I'm not tall. These girls like at 12 or 13 were like so much taller than me. So I'm surprised that I didn't even come home with like bruises or anything like that, but my athletic career went nowhere. Yeah. I, I was that type of person too, but we have a lot in common. I didn't want to, I was pray I didn't get picked last but getting picked second or third to last was just as bad in some ways because I look around me and I was just, I was a tiny kid. I never sprouted and grew until I was in high school. So mm-hmm. yeah, for end of elementary into junior high, I used to dread gym class. I used to dread, yeah. go, you know, got to go outside and do laps or we're playing ball. And, you know, it doesn't mean that I didn't like sports. I didn't like the peer pressure revolving around it and how people make you feel. And, and the teachers weren't any help, obviously, because they, oh. they, right, they don't, they, they shouldn't allow people, they shouldn't do that. And they still do it today. Okay, let's pick teams. Some schools yeah. don't allow that anymore, because that just causes problems. They should yeah. never have that. They should have a teacher taking a sheet and saying, okay, team one, you're this people, team two, mm-hmm. you're this people. And it's no, and it's not in any specific order. So I appreciate you sharing that. So one of the things I wanted to, um, you know, talk to you about was your inspiration. And I really appreciate that you talking about that in your origin story about the fact that your mom worked at a textile store, you walked her after school because she allowed you to stay at the school you wanted to. And that's a, you know, those little things that we may wish our parents had done more for your mom tried and you let you stay at the mm-hmm. same school. And then everything happens for us, not to us. So you go back to, you know, the textile store, like you said, about a mile and a half or whatever, and you learned how to sew and you upcycled your clothes and stuff, which I think is amazing. So I know you were inspired to, with, with your mom and what she did. Can you share a memory of something you experienced with your mom specifically that further ignited your passion once you seen what she did? Yes. Yeah, so my parents were both very encouraging. And I remember being old enough to go to dances. And this was in junior high like the sweetheart dance or maybe going to 
um, supporting a friend who is in a pageant, right? Because Filipinos love pageants as well. And I recall one of my friends being in a pageant and we needed dresses to go support her. And my mom knew a designer, a Filipino designer, his name was Randy. And he would shop the store. So that's how they got to know each other. Well, I got to meet Randy and he made some custom dresses for us, which was amazing. It was, I got to pick the fabric. I got to pick the color, give him direction as to what I wanted. So it was a collaborative effort with this designer and he made the dresses. And that was another, you know, thing that sparked Your the passion. designer. The, yeah. the designer in me yeah that's awesome I love that story I, w- I was not expecting that that's 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 a great uh, um great experience for you you know you meet somebody like that that would test you know especially in junior high you you would have been on a high just having right. that done because it made you so much specialer than the rest of the kids and it would give you bragging rights that's the way I look at it, it would give you you know even without bragging it would be bragging Oh, absolutely. That, I because think it was awesome. We, I, I actually don't know if growing up I ever bought a store dress for a formal. Like every time there was a winter formal or Valentine's formal, they were always made by someone. It was always custom made. I got to choose the fabrics or whatnot. And, you know, Randy made beautiful dresses for women in pageants or ball gowns so yeah thank you for uh jogging that memory of mine because well you know what your whole listeners that you need to watch this on youtube you should see cat's face how it lit up and the passion you may have heard it in her tone of voice but it's something that's a very good memory for her i can see it Mm -hmm. in her in her body language and her tonality it's amazing how your body changed when you were talking about that. So I appreciate you sharing yeah. that memory. That's a, that's a fantastic memory. So yeah, it was very, and you're welcome for bringing it up. That's, I want to know more about everybody I communicate with, especially you, because we've connected quite well in the last uh, month and a bit. So I appreciate you sharing that with, with uh, me and the listeners. It's very touching. So you, you mentioned your passion for original fashion. And I had to read that a few times and I didn't want to Google it. I just wanted to understand. Can you tell me exactly what that is compared to any other type of fashion? Yeah. So a lot of fashion is mass produced. You know, you go into the store, you can buy a shirt from anywhere. Anybody can buy it if they have the money. And what I love about original fashion is it's unique. It's uniqueness. Anybody can create original fashion by upcycling. And what upcycling means is, you know, you could take a a patch or strings or cut it up and make it look different. And that was so important to me because growing up, I didn't like clicks. I still don't. There was a lot of peer pressure to be cool to buy the latest and the greatest, you know, Nikes or jacket or whatnot. Well, when you have original fashion, there's nothing to compare it to, right? Like you're not a Nike, you're an original. Sorry, Nike. (laughs) Oh, I wouldn't apologize. I love unique. I love that. 
I never thought that's, you know, I, I didn't grasp that until you just shared that. But you as a person, just getting to know you, obviously, listeners, I've gotten to know Kat now for over the last month, we've spent quite a few hours communicating over the last month. Um, bottom line, you are a very unique person. So being that unique individual, it makes sense that you'd want uniqueness in fashion. Right. And, mm -hmm. and it, it ties all together to your desire to learn how to sew to ups, you know, upcycling your clothing and, it, and not wanting to be part of clicks. That's awesome because I despise clicks. I was a person that was friends with everybody, jocks, the geeks, the nerds. I didn't want to be labeled. I wanted mm -hmm. to be the most unique version of myself. And I fought the status quo, you know, trying to pigeonhole me and you've done that you've honestly done that so just explaining what original fashion means to you and then tying it back to you upcycling your clothes it makes sense why original fashion is so important so with your original fashion though and your design that obviously has helped all the people you've designed for all these years become the unique versions of themselves do you do custom stuff for people like one-offs like Randy would have done or or do you have so you do so if you create something um it's it's mass produced anybody can buy it and and stuff like that but obviously you still have that desire in your heart you design things for yourself still in an original fashion uh, so because I've been in corporate America designing for licensed brands it's mass produced but how I take that individuality is through the design, the creation, whether it's, you know, choosing fabrics, colors, and keeping different women in mind. So what I love about original fashion is it's its uniqueness, and that ties back into each individual person, right? Because we tend to compare ourselves to others and what we don't have. But if you embrace that original fashion as if it's you, you won't compare yourself to others. And that's why I'm all about spreading the message of like beauty starts from within, even though I'm in fashion, like fashion can be very superficial, but I'm the exact opposite being a designer. And that's my messaging with women. And when I create, I think of all the different body types, right? Not just the sexy women that's shopping for swimwear that are in the magazines, which is what I love about the movement with inclusivity that's happening in the fashion culture now. It's, it's including women of different skin color, body types. So that's how I'm embracing the um, individuality. Not sure I yeah answered so, that no but. that's it's it's true um again it is it's just trying to find out more about you because that original thought process of you wanting that original unique designs and stuff obviously transmitted you just said that it's transmitted into how you design and develop whether it's mass produced and sold the same design sold if it's if a thousand women buy that one design and it's unique to help them level up their their thought process of how they look at themselves in the mirror. You've accomplished still original design, in my opinion, right? You still 
had the thought process of what created that, right? The original design thought process transmitted into still wanting to give a heck and help the greater masses of women out there feel good about their body type. As you mentioned, skin color, everything. I never thought about skin color, but yeah, I guess that would, that would make sense, right? How the patterns and colors would be vibrant off their skin color, their face, even, even there, I'm, I don't know. I'm not a fashion person. I don't even know. Does there, does, does a face, the shape of the face make a difference in, in how something would wear on a woman in regards to fashion? It does. The, the shape of your face and your neck, actually. Oh, okay. okay. So if you, if you have a shorter neck, I would not advise you to wear a turtleneck because your neck's just going to completely disappear. Oh, that you makes know? sense. I've, now yeah. I can visualize people do it wearing that thinking you shouldn't <laughs> wear that. It popped into my mind that quick. Um, yeah. But that's amazing. So can you share any stories? This is going to be a little bit, go, go back to your design school days. Can you share any stories about going to design school? Was it a struggle for you or did you just find that you breezed through it? It was such a struggle. It, it was such a struggle because, so I lived in San Diego and I, and I did my first year there. And it was fine. I had friends and then I worked retail, you know, on the weekends. But when I moved to LA to finish off design school, I didn't know anyone in LA. My husband now, but boyfriend at the time moved to LA with me. So we at least had each other. But design school in general, you had people that were down to earth like me, but a lot of other people were international students as well. And they were like the cool fashion kids. Like they just had a really different energy about them. They were super into fashion and I loved fashion, but it wasn't me per se. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it didn't make my whole being. And, you know, from head to toe, there were, there were students. You could tell they were design school so you student. didn't you didn't eat breathe and sleep no it, whereas other not. people did is what you're saying i i did not eat breathe sleep it um i struggled with learning certain things like making patterns because you, when you go to design school you have to learn how to make a jacket make the pattern for um you know a men's shirt with a collar and certain pocket construction. I did struggle to sew some of those very complicated things because those weren't any things that I've attacked like previous experience. Um, you didn't the, have a passion the, for them though either. No, no. And, and the kids that got the teacher's attention were the kids that were like in your face and, um, loved on the teacher so to speak i wasn't one of those teacher's pets is that what you're trying to say yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> i i you know teachers liked me and they enjoyed me but i wasn't always a teacher's pet because you know growing up in class not every class was interesting or i got were... great grades you weren't easily assimilated. You wanted to be unique. And that's why yeah. not every teacher yeah. likes you uh, or liked you because I went right. through that too. And, 
And that's tough as a child because we want to be liked. So it's tough when we go through that. But as adults, we look back at it and think to ourselves, you know, the education system pigeonholes people, right? Mm -hmm. Encourages people to be, you know, ass kissers. I'll be blunt about it. You know, your teacher have an apple. Your teacher, would you you know what I mean? Let me knock, let me clean up. Let me do whatever. And that's fine. There's going to be people like that in life, but people like that in life that I knew that were teachers, pets or suck ups, I call them suck ups back in school. They're still that way today. And they've never gotten out of that in their careers and their jobs, their suck ups. They've never learned to be individuals and unique. So your circumstances make sense to me a hundred percent why yeah. you wouldn't be a teacher's pet. Yeah, I mean, I used to fall asleep in chemistry class because I just... I hated I chemistry. Yeah, I hate. I'm like, I can't, I don't understand this stuff. Right? I wasn't a fan of chemistry yeah, either. The, yeah, I was like, don't ask me about the periodic tables, please. Yeah, no, okay. but, What? You don't know what the periodic table element is for uh, plutonium or whatever? I, I don't even know that's... I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> um. So Kat, you designed thousands of swimwear styles for women of all ages throughout your journey as a designer for the last 25 years. You have traveled the globe for inspiration, spoken with countless people along the way, plus yourself, as you've mentioned, tried on endless number of swimsuits to figure out what works. Can you share with the listeners and I some of the stories about the journey to find out what works and what doesn't in swimwear? Yes. So I will start with the traveling. That's one of my favorite parts of being in the fashion industry is traveling, for example, to Europe for inspiration, looking at the high end designer, you know, whether it's the high streets of London or Paris, because you don't, you know, fashion is everywhere, but what you see in London isn't what you see in Los Angeles per se or New York. They have different stock and it gets released normally much earlier in Europe. So we would travel to Europe for inspiration, actually buy garments that were not swimwear or we would buy swimwear from designer, like European brands that they don't ship to the US. And we would take it back and we would either like do something similar in terms of fabrication or detail or construction. So that's what we did with inspiration. And and then we'd go to shows. We would go to like Miami Swim Show and show it to different buyers, buyers, uh, you know, like Macy's or Nordstrom or specialty shops. And they would tell you what they thought of your line or the design or the suit. And, you know, from concept, like a sketch, to making a sample, we were blessed. Like I was blessed to work for a company where we had an in-house sample room. We would make our garments ourselves, the patterns ourselves. So it was instant gratification because I was always like, are you done yet? (laughs) I want to see it. And then we would have the model come in and try it on and we talk about it. Um, So we would do those fittings, Um, but it's a process, right? So by the time you you actually have garment, it's approved, you bring it to a buyer and then they hate it. Like I remember being in New York and we have sales reps that show our lines. And this one woman 
was like, oh my God, what were they thinking with that suit? And I was like, what are they talking about? And sometimes it's yours. Sometimes it's someone else's, but I've learned to just, you know, shrug it off and some designs fail and some, you know, designs are success and surprise. But it's like your baby though. So it's good. You learn to shrug it off, but some of it would be for me would seem very personal. It would be like, Oh yeah. What do you mean? You don't like it. (laughs) You know? And obviously you gotta, you gotta learn to take the lumps and let water, you know, like water off a duck's back, it rolls off. And I get that, but I could see though, that with your passion, with your designs, that it would be, it would have been a struggle. And maybe it is some days still a struggle that even people don't like your swimwear designs. Who knows? Like, I don't know if you get a hundred percent, hundred percent of people going, Oh, wow. Or people that you, they say, Oh, that's nice. But you can see in their body language that they're full of garbage. Right. Okay. So yeah, there's, there's that too. So I've through the fashion industry meeting with buyers, I've learned body language. I've learned how to communicate. I've learned how to ask questions when they say they like something or when they don't. I want to know what is it that you like or what is it that you don't like? You don't want phoniness. You want, you don't want puff, you don't want puff answers. You want good answers that are going to give you feedback so that you can move forward. Well, absolutely. Because if you think about it, like if something is a continual miss and we need to know so that we don't design it again for certain reasons. So Kat, you mentioned like public speaking, shopping for swimwear can be scary. I think the answer why is obvious to most, and that is how one views their body. Can you talk some more on this? You have brought up some things on how design and presentation has helped break this fear for many women? Absolutely. When you think about a swimsuit and what it actually covers, it's not much. So that's why I say it's like being half naked in public and you really are half naked in public. You would never go out in public wearing your undergarments, you know? It's the same silhouette, but because the fabrication is different and you know it's an undergarment, you will never go to the beach, but what makes a swimsuit different? And just even transitioning from wearing your underwear in public to wearing a swimsuit, same silhouette, that's trusting the design the fabrication and the process, right? So the thing with undergarments is, example, a woman who has an underwire, like a bra. There's swimsuits that have underwires in them for support, but when you get it wet, it reacts very differently. So that's why you can never wear your bra to the beach. I mean, you can, I'm sure. There's women out there that have done it, but they won't, they will absorb the water. So there's a lot of research that we go into choosing the type of fabrications and the silhouetting. And women, women's body types are a lot of different shapes. So when we're designing, there's women that feel very comfortable with showing her bust and her cleavage. So we wanna make sure that the girls, her girls, look great, (laughs) right? And if she's conscious about her bottom, 
what are we giving her to cover that up? But it all starts with the mind and how women feel about their bodies before even shopping for swimwear or being out there. When I meet women, they get really excited because they always ask like, oh, what is it that you do? And I have to see it very slowly is what I've learned. I design women's swimwear because it kind of, I mean, how often do you meet somebody who designs women's swimwear? Not very often. You're the first. So, <laughs> exactly. So they get really excited. They're like, oh my gosh, it's so cool. And then the next line normally is, oh, but I can never wear that. I'm too this, I'm too that. And I realized that it's a pattern that women do where they automatically point out all their flaws and it's all these self-limiting beliefs. So then it turns into a mini therapy session for me. So I take my time with them. I'm like, yes, you can. Yes, you can wear that. I'm like, there's a reason there's different shapes and sizes that we manufacture for. Because some women feel they're too big to be in a swimsuit, but there's a reason there's a size 18 in the stores. It's for you to buy them. But even very, very petite women see the same things to me. I met a woman who, growing up in her 20s and 30s, never wore a swimsuit with her kids to go to the beach, like ever. I was like, well, then what do you wear? And she's like, oh, regular clothes. So for me, I love the beach and the water and being in a pool. And to not have that feeling is, I felt really bad for her because there's just something dreamy. I mean, imagine going to Hawaii and never getting in the ocean. That's yeah, that would crazy. Suck. That would... That's crazy why, to me. Why did you go? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, one of the things, though, you talked about, and I think and the first thing that I was thinking about when you were explaining that is I look at people that go and buy things off the rack. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't fit properly. And women, I know for a fact, because I, I know somebody that has a shop that people go and get custom fitted bras, right? Mm -hmm. How many women for, so it would be similar to bathing suits have things that are improper fitting, they don't necessarily appeal to their, as you mentioned, with their skin color or their face, their neck, whatever. It just doesn't fit right. So I think it, even with suits, go and get it custom fitted. People buy stuff off the rack. It doesn't fit right. And I think it, it affects their self-image of themselves because when they look, it's not fit properly. So how do you feel in regards to, you know, women needing that you know, constructive help that not criticism, but that support, like you were talking about when people come and reach out to you, you know, so the listeners understand it is crucial that you spend that extra money. Yes. Off the rack might be 80 bucks and on there, you know, something that's more going to fit you or somebody helping you might cost you 250, $300, $400, but you shouldn't necessarily, so many people put a price on their image or what they feel about themselves right? Wouldn't you agree yeah. that it, it's so important that they, that women that are looking for it, get some professional advice in regards to what they should wear? I, I agree. And something to consider for everybody in general, for men and women as well, is when you're buying something off the rack, you have to consider that 
just because you're one size in a brand doesn't mean you're another size in another brand, right? Their fit standards from brand to brand is very different. So there's vanity sizing. And what that means is they make the garment bigger so that you feel like you're buying a smaller size. Okay. Okay. Sometimes, like for me, I'm normally a small slash six, but there's times when I have to go to a large because, you know, they, the small fits way too small or the medium fits way too small. And I don't feel bad about going to a larger size because I know it's going to fit me and it, it fits how I want it. Like, don't focus so much on what the actual size is. Focus on how it looks on you and how it makes you feel. So whether it's spending extra dollars to consult with somebody about what your color should be, what your silhouette should be, I would definitely invest in that because if you don't feel good about yourself, I mean, every person owns a mirror in their home. I don't know one person that does not. So if you're not telling yourself positive things and you're not feeling good, the output into the world is not going to reflect that. It, I mean, like it's going to reflect the same things that you're telling yourself. So I would heavily invest in a little bit of money to buy things that fit you or speak to somebody that can guide you through, you know, your best look for your body type and your skin color. Oh, you're investing in yourself and so many people devalue the investment of how clothing can change our six inches between our ears. So women or men getting custom fit anything. I know myself getting custom suits made, you know, like going in and having the suit custom fit for me and stuff. I felt better than just buying off the rack stuff. And again, I'm not against people buying stuff off the rack. I'm saying though, if you haven't, you know, you talked about the woman that never wore a swimsuit, wore normal clothing to the, to the beach, you know, to feel that way when, you know, maybe, a, maybe it was a financial concern, but if it wasn't, and you can afford it, go feel good about yourself. Quit letting the committee of they or society make you think that you have to be a Barbie doll and you have to look this way. Or like you mentioned, some women want their, their, you know, they want, their girls to show up more than other women might want to cover it up and everybody's everybody's different and you know if you're unsure go find out i don't care girl guy whatever it is clothing swimsuits put in a little bit of time to self-care for yourself and that's one of the biggest things i find in a society we live for too many other people we forget that we have to love ourselves and live for ourselves first in order to serve and love others we have to love ourselves first so something is may sound simple, but something is, I think, unique is having somebody help you with a bathing suit. If you're, you know, obviously the men listening are going to be looking for, but you know, you want, you want, you got a wife, you got a girlfriend. Perfect. Give them a gift, right? Give them a gift card, say, set it up and say, Hey, hon, you know, obviously broach it properly. Right. You know, Hey, hon, you should go see this person. You always think you have a big ass in a bathing suit. I don't think that's going to go over very well, right? You know, right. learn how to communicate or, you know, just say, here, hon, I thought you might enjoy this. Here's, here's a gift card for a few hundred bucks or whatever. Go to this store, you know, find out. Um, and obviously, if you're in the, in the California area, 
you know, reach out to Kath. There's probably some good places she could probably send you so that you can get some proper support in regards to what would good be good for you. Because obviously it's not just about you looking at their body and saying, Hey, this is going to fit you. You have to, they have to have some form of conversation to find out what Mm -hmm. really clicks for them. Maybe you think this pattern or color looks really good and they can't stand it. Exactly. So it's communication. It's still a relationship thing in my opinion anyway. And, and as a matter of fact, there's a lot of women that don't even know what their bra size is. Oh, I, that's why I said I, I know somebody that has a bra shop that, and people go, what? You spend 200 bucks to get a custom fit bra? You could go buy one at Walmart for 35 bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pinching, it's gouging, it's, it's, yeah, you know, society has made it so that we are off the rack shoppers, most of us, for exactly. everything, right? And for the deepest discount, for the most part. Yeah, mass produced, the same bra size the same, whatever men go through it in certain circumstances, women more so because of, like you said, body shape sizes, the girls are different, you know, and it's something that, you know, even with my having four daughters and a son differences. And I've seen the seen the fashion struggles they went through as kids, as teenagers, things that you were talking about and now being adults and, you know, appreciating it where they're at in their lives, their body size, and then going and finding the proper thing to cover up their body. Cause that's what a bathing suit or a dress or whatever is it, you're worth it. I'm here to tell you that you're worth it. You deserve to put that time and energy in if you're possibly can afford it. Cause obviously it's going to be a little bit more money than buying $35 bra as opposed to 200 or a, a $80 bathing suit or spending three, 400, there's going to be a price difference. But if you can justify, I honestly believe that when you do that custom of anything, you're, you're helping your six inches out, you feel better about yourself, you literally will have a quicker step, right? You'll have a spring in your step, you'll just feel better about yourself. Every time you put that bathing suit on or whatever custom article of clothing, you're going to smile and you won't think about what you paid. You'll think about the how it makes you feel and how it made you feel the last time you wore it, right? And at least I think that anyway. Exactly. I mean, it's the same thing as getting your hair done. You know, are you, are you buying a box or are you going out to the salon and treating yourself? I think everybody deserves to go that extra mile for themselves to make themselves feel better. Oh, 100%. We deserve to be pampered. We deserve to, you know, like, I, and I do know some of my kids that have had in the past, since you brought it up, buy those kits to, to you know, they're die, they have friends and dye in their hair and they're never really happy. And it's really, why do people do that? It's a money circumstance. Obviously, we're not all rolling in money, but if you get to a point in your life where the worst people, remember, because of my finance background, the worst people are those that grew up broke lived broke now they have money but they're still their mindset or their mentality still broke they can't escape mm-hmm. that brokenness and i coach my clients to that you know what you you have some money here now you could do some of the things that you might want to do and because i goal set and i actually build that relationship so you know when i broach that with one of my clients wives or some of my single female clients probably not <laughs> i don't know it could be could come across the wrong way right it's uh <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it just could, but bottom line, 
it's a financial concern and people that, that, uh, that grew up with it, live with it in their younger adult years in that broke mentality of buying off the rack, even when they have money, they have a hard time breaking that mental cycle of, of, you know, realizing, Hey, now I can actually get that custom bathing suit or that custom suit or whatever the case may be. It, it's, it's up to us to constantly, you know, find ways to communicate with people. Obviously it's better coming from a woman to a woman as opposed to a dude, but you know, ladies that are watching again, I would highly suggest you reach out to um, Kat and talk to her about it. If it's something you're nervous about, you have questions, obviously, and if you're not living in California, there's not much, you know, you, but a conversation is pretty easy, especially if yeah. you're stuck in that broke mentality when you can actually justify doing it, you know, mm -hmm. have that conversation with somebody that's an expert such as Kat to, you know, help you level up your mindset so that you deserve to, because you deserve to love yourself and whatever you wear and how you look. So, Absolutely. yeah, so you're currently the VP of design for many major brands. What do you see for yourself on the horizon? I believe you're working on many other projects. So feel free to share with the listeners, whatever you would like in regards to where you see yourself moving in this industry or outside of the industry. I'd appreciate that. Yeah. So I love my team. They're, they're amazing. And what we're doing, you know, for, for the licensed brands and moving it forward is great. We are launching new collections this June and July. And in terms of personal speaking with men, women and learning about their, you know, limiting beliefs about their bodies, it's really encouraged me to step into my calling because I've always loved helping people. But, you know, this day and age, you have to choose kind of a quote unquote niche. Like I was sharing with you before, if, if I could be the person, what type of person would I be? And I would merge like Mother Teresa's heart with Martin Luther King Jr.'s, you know, ability to stir people, inspire them to create a movement that would be Kat Oshman. That's awesome. <laughs> but like with a cooler fashion sense than Mother Teresa, you know? Yeah, um, I love that though. Yeah, so I actually just launched a crowdfunding campaign so that we can build a sustainable organization to help empower women. And a lot of people have asked me in my past, are you ever going to start your own, you know, fashion brand or swimsuit line? And to be honest, right now, that's not where my heart is because I don't think the world needs another fashion brand, another swimsuit line. I'm taking my experience with leadership, design, and using my creativity to help women because I'm around women all the time and I want them to come find me. Women struggle, right? Like even at the executive level or high manager level with themselves, their body image, their just in general, because we carry the weight on our shoulders, whether it's like raising families, you know, being bossed at work, we do need help. And I want to be a resource for women. So for example, a woman that's working at her job, maybe she wants to launch her own business, but doesn't know where to start. 
or have the funds for it, our organization would connect them with other entrepreneurs and coaches to help coach them and also to help fund their business. So that I'm not only helping the woman that is looking for, you know, launching her business, but I'm also helping the entrepreneurs make money, the graphic designers make money to help her. So you want to be a connector. You want to yes. connect people. A connector with the money to do so. So that's what I mean about sustainable because part of the money that we raise will actually go into investments so that the foundation and organization can fund itself for years to come versus always looking for the next backer, the next donor. You want to, yeah, you want it to be like, uh, what's the word? A perpetual motion where once it starts, it never stops. It's able exactly. to sustain and keep itself moving forward. I think that's a fantastic dream. Like that's, I did see your post about the crowdfunding and yeah, it's, it's amazing. You know, you talked about the fact like, you know, Hey cat, go design your own brand, do this and do that. What people don't realize is all the time value of money that they waste because you'd be give all that time into it and the value. Yes. You could say, Oh, I got my own brand, but then you got to market it. You got to get people to understand your brand. And even if you said, well, I designed for all these other people, it doesn't matter. You spend all this time for what? And a lot of people start their own brands of anything because of vanity. Not that that's bad for those that do that good on you, but at your stage in your life, I think the message, what you just shared of wanting to be, that connector and create something that's sustainable, help people start their business, help them find funding and stuff. That, that is a, that's an excellent calling. And honestly, I think you'll do fantastic at it. Well, why do I say that? Because just because of your origin to where you are today, you are good. You understand so much. You understand the struggles of women, obviously and what, cause you've gone through some of them yourself. It's real life experience. And now you see that there's, you know, there's people such as yourself that have the ability to help them level up because of all the people you've met in all your life, all the networking connections. Now you're just going to put that all together in a defined package so that you can present that to others and help them level up. And that's admirable. I think that's, that's fantastic that you want to do that for other people. Um, so Kat, if you had to give our listeners one last closing message, what would you tell them in regards to giving a heck and never giving up? Wow. Okay. So one of the messages that I do want to leave people with is always treat people like you will meet them twice. And what that means is, you know, when you're out and about, for example, like you're going into a store you're thinking about you walking into the store, you're in a rush, you're looking for something, you know, off the shelves and you're getting in line and, and maybe you bump into somebody or they bump into you and they're having a bad day or whatnot. So you're really rude to that person because you know, how dare they bump into you? But what you don't realize is that person that bumped into you could be your kid's best friend's parent. So then you meet them later on at a party and that was their first impression of you. So it's also not reaching out to people 
only to receive something that benefits you, but it's treating them with respect, right? For example, when I was early on in my career, in my 20s, I was a really young designer. Didn't know a whole lot, but I gave it my all. I worked my butt off. And then honestly, 20 years later, that sales rep was the same sales rep that said, I loved Kat. I loved working with her, et cetera. I'm like, that was 20 years ago. And you're saying this about me now. And he was actually who recommended me to, you know, they try to recruit me to this new company. They tried for like a year and a half. Um, but it was so interesting being like assistant in my 20s and a sales rep seeing those things about you. And you never know who's listening and who you're making an impression on. So you always want to give a heck into whatever it is that you do, who you meet, because the world needs you to show up like with your best self. And, you know, we need a lot more contribution. And, you know, we do. I love that though. Treat people like you will meet them twice. I teach that all the time. I love the way the wording you put that though. I always tell people I want, you need to learn how to lead people when you meet them where they can't wait to meet you again, that Mm -hmm. you leave that good of an impression. And as you mentioned, it could be decades later, Yeah. right? That you meet this person and first impressions are so important. Um, Even your body language and mannerisms in the first 30 seconds, people have already cased you out before you open your mouth right just in how you how you present yourself and how you care about you know you go into a room and you got your if if I had hair but (laughs) your hair is everywhere and you're unkept and your shirt's not tucked in or you know you just you got for women maybe it's a run in the pantyhose it uh, yeah I know what happens with four daughters it can happen when you're not expecting Mm -hmm. it I get it but people's impression of what they visualize you to be is stuck and then you confirm it by opening your mouth. So make sure when you open your mouth, you remove all doubt that if they were concerned that you're a great person and they can't wait to see you again, just in this, and they should leave you the same way. That's an association trick I teach people. When you associate with people, they should make you feel good. You should make them feel good. And if you don't see each other for a decade, when you see one another, if it was, you know, you looked at things properly, you're going to, you're going to have a spike of a, a, a of dopamine in your head. Right. Right. And obviously that designer that was, Oh, I love cat. That is exactly what they experienced. So good. Exactly. Yeah. So good for you that you were, you are, and were that type of person, but yeah. So, and I don't reach out to people just for some, it, cause you want something happens all the time. It's the same thing I did with my vlog yesterday. I talked about compliments. Don't give compliments unless you're sincere and genuine. All you're doing is lying to yourself and fooling yourself. And if you're that person that's always reaching out to something, somebody because you want something, it'll catch up to you. People will find out. It will get out there that all you are is a person that's an energy vampire and a taker and never a giver. So I always believe that we should give more than we ever take we should serve more than we ever take because we become natural leaders without even trying because of exactly what you said people want to see you twice right they want to connect with you again and it's all because 
we have that servant attitude that we aren't the best, we aren't the top of the heap, that we're just a servant of others. And without even trying, that's how the best leaders, the best um, people that serve society are created. So, you know, I appreciate that. And I hope the listeners have, been, have enjoyed this conversation of ours because it's uh, yeah, it's been mind-blowing, to be honest with you. I had no idea where we would go. Obviously, reading about your life, I only can find out so much. But those little stories, even that designer story of, your, of that designer, Randy, just stuff like that is how we connect with people, right? Vulnerability. So I appreciate your time. So, well, our time is almost up and I want to respect our listeners and your time. However, before we end, Kat, can you please tell the listeners what is the best way to reach you? The listeners can find me on IG under Kat Oshman and feel free to DM me and let me know that you heard me on Dwight's show, Give a Heck. Fantastic. I'll make sure it's all in the show notes. For the new listeners, you can find the show notes at giveaheck.com and you can click on the podcast portal and you'll find the show notes in there. I'll ensure that the, um, anything to do with links and connections for you to reach out to Kat are there. And for those of you listeners, because I do have it happen that are nervous and you've never really reached out to somebody that you don't know. If you are comfortable with me, reach out and I'll connect you, right? So don't ever think that you can't approach Kat um, even through myself. I'll, I'll graciously help you because I believe we all have to give a heck about one another. And it's back to what we talked about, Kat and I, about connecting with people, right? So thanks so much for being on Give a Heck, Kat. I appreciate your time and sharing some of your experiences so that others too can learn it is never too late to give a heck. Thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to Give a Heck. If you find value, I'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and family so they too can learn how to live life on purpose, not by accident. So you do not miss the next episode. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please also post a review. I look forward to reading your comments. This has been Dwight Heck. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or today's show notes, please check out my website, giveaheck.com. And until next time, together let us all strive to give a heck.